You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriolo, joined here by MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers. It is the first StatCast podcast of the offseason after the Red Sox won the World Series. We have a lot to talk about. Obviously, there is no offseason, really. The hot stove season is already getting started. We're going to talk about Clayton Kershaw, who, as we record this show, may or may not opt out. Why JTL Ramuto is more valuable than you might think. We're going to talk about how to build a team. Maybe it's more about trades than free agents. What to make of Nelson Cruz. And what if the Phillies signed Harper and Machado? Uh, quickly, I do want to remind people, this is the StatCast podcast. We have a lot of interesting StatCast stuff. We're going to try to do in the offseason. Infield defense is our big thing, hopefully for spring training. We are going to have our StatCast version of ERA coming out pretty soon. Outfield route running and burst and explosiveness. I've talked about that before. That's going to come out this winter as well. Lots more than that. We're super excited for all of it. Matt, I know you want to talk about Clayton Kershaw first. Now, as we record this show, it's, I don't know, nine hours or so left in the deadline for him to say if he's going to opt out. So by the time you listen to this, maybe you already know. I think everybody in the baseball world feels like it's just going to be like another year or two tacked on and it won't be much of a story. Is that how you feel? Yeah, it's kind of how I've always felt until the like the 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 post his postseason performance while it wasn't bad, he was actually still mostly pretty effective, but it did show some warning signs. It really, or I really should say it highlighted some warning signs about his, you know, potential decline phase that looks to be possibly possibly accelerating. So the one interesting aspect to me is whether or not the Dodgers play hardball and say, like, no, we're not going to give you an extension. Like, we'd love to have you for two more years. That's, to me, like, where the, where the, the, inter- the interesting point to me lies now. There's a small part of me that thinks just because it seems so obvious and assumed by everybody that he's just going to get another year or two, that the fact that it hasn't happened yet means that it might not happen. Because it almost feels like if that was going to happen, you'd have done it, like, right away. Like, is he really going back and forth on whether to opt out or not? Two years, $65 million left. Uh, he's obviously not going to get that much per year on the free agent market. He'd get more years, certainly. And his big story, I think, this year was that his velocity is down. He's throwing like 90-91, almost no separation between the fastball and the slider, which isn't great. And, you know, we, we heard a lot about the narrative, oh, he can't win in October, which is total garbage. We saw him have some very good starts. But also, I think people look at that as though he's still like, best pitcher in baseball, number one elite pitching god, Clayton Kershaw. I don't think he's a top 10 starter anymore. He's still pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And that's and, and the thing that I sort of, with, with Kershaw, it's like I still believe he could reinvent himself again. He's already re- reinvented himself once in his career. And where he used to be like kind of a guy who relied on fastball command and velocity to overpower you. And then he became this guy throwing his slider, like 50, breaking balls 50% of the time. And I still think he could, he could evolve again into a guy that relies much more on his curveball, maybe almost in more of a Rich Hill model, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, and I'm, I think he could still be an effective pitcher. The point being, though, that like if you want to play hardball, and some teams are more willing to play hardball with franchise icons than others, you know, you could argue that like you'd rather just like, you know, we're going to wait out the two years and see what happens. And there's a lot of different ways it could go. Andrew Simon did a piece on the site today looking at some of kind of like the best case and worst case scenarios for Kershaw. And there have been elite pitchers who – in the quote-unquote twilight of their career, reinvented themselves. Roger Clemens comes to mind. Pedro Martinez comes to mind. But then, of course, you've got guys like Johan Santana and Felix Hernandez, 
granted, Santana had serious injury. Yeah. That's different. So Hernandez is the scary one. Scary, scary is, yeah. Hernandez is the real scary one. Yeah. So, okay. What's your, uh, we, got, we all have to make takes. It's the internet, right? So I still think he's going to get like a one-year extension from the Dodgers. Maybe two years, right? I don't know. For I, I, less. It's hard to say the number, but two years. Two more years. Um, you think he's going to go to free agency? No, I think I think that the, it's. I don't think he's going to free agency. I think it's either he stays. It's just status quo. I'm going to stay status status quo. So the Dodgers are not going to just say the Dodgers are going to say like we'd love to have you, but we're not giving you an extra years. And then he's just not going to opt out because he knows. I mean, I think that if he goes in the free agent market, he gets maybe what Arietta got last year, three for seventy five. Maybe um, that's interesting. So. He might say, "I'd rather like play it out in L.A., where I'm, you know, kind of a god, kind of a god here, and uh, let it ride. And maybe if I reinvent myself two years, I actually have a better. He'll still only be 32. I know, isn't it weird to say that a guy who's like 30 is over the hill? <laughs> I mean, that's and that's when you look at some of these other guys we're talking about, like you know, Felix, Pedro, Johan yeah. Santana. It was right around this and time. He's, he's still had a good year. He still had like a 270 ERA. All right, well, we'll know soon, I guess. Yes, we'll know the next time we do the show." JT Romuto, his agent, came out yesterday and said that he does not expect Romuto to be in spring training with the Marlins and that he's not going to sign a contract extension. Some of that, I think, is just agent talk. The Marlins could very easily just keep him for the two more years, trade him you know, at the deadline or next winter or try to extend him, which is what they should probably do. I think he's the best all-around catcher in baseball, and they obviously need someone to build around. But when your agent is out there saying things like that, everyone's going to start thinking about trade options. And I think it's it's really like an interesting discussion about catchers in a second, we're going to explain why the state of catching uh, from an offensive perspective is essentially as weak as it's ever been, just about. But Romito is one of our favorite StatCast players. Uh, and I think we've, we've gone through a lot of this before, but for those who haven't heard before, Romito was the best in pop time this year. 1.90 seconds was the best of anybody. He had the second best catcher arm strength, 87.8 miles an hour on his competitive throws, sixth best caught stealing percentage. He was the fastest catcher. We measure sprint speed. He was 28.6 feet per second, where the major league average is 27. For a catcher, that number is amazing. He was second in slugging percentage behind Wilson Ramos, second in catcher weighted runs created plus, first in catcher weighted uh, wins above replacement, both the version with framing and the version without framing. I know Cardinals fans are going to upset that I'm not saying Yadi Molina is the best catcher in baseball. He's not. JT Romito is the best catcher in baseball. Agree or disagree? I agree, and I think that that's why he's going to get traded because I think that right now the Marlins, whatever you think of what they're doing, they're building for a window that's beyond two years from now. So I guess they could theoretically give them an extension, but I feel like you're in a situation where the windows don't really align. That by the time the Marlins are competing again, Ramuto will be past his prime and the, the primes for catchers can be pretty short. So I feel like they could capitalize on it. I, I agree with you. I do feel like there's an argument for you know signing someone to build around because I don't know what that team's going to look like next year without him. But anyway, he'll be 28 in March, two years of arbitration left. And when I started thinking about the teams where he might fit, I realized I was naming like two-thirds of the teams in baseball. Right Here's my my quick list of teams who should trade for J.T. Armido. The Rays, definitely. The Rockies. The Dodgers, if Grandal leaves. The Red Sox. uh, The Astros, be perfect for Houston. Oakland, maybe, because Luke Roy's probably gone. The Angels, they have nothing to trade for him, but they could badly use someone like that. Uh, The Braves. Feels like Luke. Feels like uh, Romero to the Nationals has been a, a rumor for like two years now. The Mets probably. The Brewers would be perfect. The Diamondbacks maybe. The Yankees probably not, but maybe they don't want Sanchez to catch anymore. And my entire point there is like, how many teams did I just name? I could have named others, but they just probably aren't you know in a state to trade for a guy like this now. And I wondered 
what the state of catching was in baseball. So I looked this up. Over the last 100 seasons, I looked at catchers hitting uh, using weighted on-base average, which is just like on-base percentage, except you get more credit for extra base hits. 2018, the weighted on-base average for catchers was 296. In the last 100 seasons, there have only been three years lower than that, and they all came between 1965 and 1968, which is basically known as the lowest offensive environment in baseball history. They literally had to change the mound after 1968 because nobody could hit. So you could argue that we just saw one of the weakest catcher hitting seasons I think you of all time. Really argue it. The, the, the numbers stated pretty I clearly. I looked this up. Catchers as a group hit basically like Yolmer Sanchez did uh, of the White Sox. It's not great. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, Romito is a valuable catcher at any time. But I think especially now when so many good teams did not get anything from catcher uh, in, in the lineup. Obviously, there's more to catcher than hitting. Certainly guys like Sandy Leone added a ton of value behind the plate. Um, Ramutu does as well. And it's fascinating to me. Like, are we at a, are we at, a, I feel like we've done this with other positions recently. Like three years ago, I think we said uh, shortstops were at, at a really low point. And I remember this because I do these top 10 lists for each positions for MLB Network each year. And I remember like three years ago, four years ago, maybe like Jordy Mercer made his way on my top 10 list. Like 38 year old Jimmy Rollins was on my top 10 list. Cause like, you know, the Jeter, Hanley Ramirez, peak Rollins phase had ended, but we hadn't quite gotten to Lindor, Correa, uh, Corey Seager, Bogarts, right? Uh, and now shortstops, we think of them as just being stacked. Is it the same thing a catcher? I don't think so. I think that there's definitely a change that's happening um, because of the grueling nature of playing the position. Uh, I think teams are the idea of like the like superstar catcher who plays 140 games a year is just a thing of the past. I think it's kind of like DH, but for different reasons. Like with DH, teams realize, hey, this is an opportunity to like kind of cycle guys through and get people a rest, and we can by doing that we can get more out of our roster. With catcher, I think it's just like to sort of build around a catcher. There's such a high risk of injury that it's really can really bite you if they get hurt. Look at the Twins, right? They tried to build around Joe Maurer. They give him that huge contract. He has that MVP season, which actually I think he got the extension after the MVP season, but then he has the injuries, he has the concussion problems, he has to move to first base, and he comes becomes kind of like an albatross, even though he was still a productive player. And then, okay, obviously, uh, the Giants aren't a great example because they did win three World Series with Buster Posey, but like Buster Posey is like not even 30, and it's kind of like... Where first base seems like his future. Like what's so it's just it's really hard to kind of build a franchise around a catcher. So I think teams are seeing it more as like when guys have a really good bat, they move them off the position. You know, um, we've seen it as uh, you note here. We've seen it with guys like uh, Schwarber, Will Myers, Bryce Harper. Um, it's Harper. Yeah. <laughs> Bryce Harper was once a catcher for you, right? You know, they don't let these guys with these high offensive ceilings catch anymore. Because I think you're right. They're worried about uh, having them run down. And I was thinking about this during the postseason. Like, what was one of the biggest stories of October, right? Yasmani Grandal's total inability to catch the ball. And I'm not defending him. He played terribly, certainly. And I think he's one of the few guys where a postseason performance might actually hurt him in October. But I also just think it's harder than ever to actually be a catcher. Uh, I was going back to something that Craig Edwards wrote at Fangrass. In the last 30 years, aside from the 94 strike season, the sixth highest seasons for combined wild pitches and pass balls are the last six seasons, which I think tells you something. You know, we think about the impact on batters and strikeouts all the time. Uh, you know, pitchers, more velocity and more breaking pitches and how there's more and more pitchers because of bullpenning. We think about how does that impact hitters? That's got to really be difficult for catchers too because now you're not, you're not catching the same guy in the same four pitches for eight innings. Now you're catching six different guys and they're all throwing 98 with movement. 
You know, like it really feels more difficult than ever to be a catcher. And I think teams, you know, select for that skill and for pitch framing, obviously, and maybe don't worry about hitting so much. Like when we were kids, right? Mickey Tettleton, Matt Noakes, Mike Stanley, like Mike Piazza. These guys were catchers. Uh, Evan Gaddis recently. Those guys don't catch anymore. No. And, and the other thing that, you know, speaking of that, it's, it's funny because I remember one thing that, that, that is no longer an issue because we don't really have these superstar catchers. I remember as a kid growing up, you know, rooting for the Mets. The star players were Gary Carter when I, like he was like my first favorite player, and then Mike Piazza. Yeah, and I remember going to. It's funny, like as a little kid going to Mets games on Sunday afternoons, and like Carter wouldn't play half the time, and I didn't really get it because it was like Sundays when you give your catchers off, and I'd always be so disappointed because it was like, oh, this was like the player I most wanted to see, but it was like, oh, like either like you know just day game after night game, or they just was like, hey, you know, we want to give our star catcher a day off for a week, but that's not really an issue anymore because there aren't really star catchers to speak of anymore well that's right it's funny mike piazza was my favorite player growing up too but i think it was mostly because his mustache was pretty badass in 1993 and, and to your point also about you know it being more grueling the games are longer you know you don't get these like there's more pitches yeah, there's, yeah it's just like you don't get these two hour and 30 minute games where you can like you know balls and in play quickly innings are quick and now it's like you sit down and you're, you're you're crouching for you know it's it's so hard i also think you're right teams are just learning the value of rest like the most unbreakable record in baseball okay it's probably cy young's 511 wins but aside from that no one is ever going to touch cal ripken's consecutive game streak ever for good reason uh i do think there's there's something to it just kind of being like a down year the older generation posey and russell martin mccann and weeders are sort of aging out and the good young catchers like gary sanchez and wilson Contreras and austin barnes had surprisingly bad years this year so i think that's part of it I also think it's just, it's harder to develop a catcher. I kind of went back and I looked at the MLBpipeline.com top catcher list. I have two of them here. One's just from five years ago, and one is uh, from 2011, which is as far back as we have. Listen to the names on this top 10 from five years ago. These guys all made the majors. Well, almost all made the majors. Who's a star here? So from 2013, Travis Darno. Can't stay healthy. Can't stay healthy. Gary Sanchez, elite bat for like a year and a half. Not really sure what he is now after this last year. Has Has a lot of trouble... On with pass balls, right? And in a different, on a different, on a different team than the Yankees, I think he may have already been switched into one of our first base DH role. Or maybe it doesn't look so bad because I think their pitching staff is particularly hard to that catch. Too? Uh, number three, Austin Hedges can't hit. Pretty good defender. Number four, Jorge Alfaro, uh, like tons Fun to watch. of skills, Fun but to watch. cannot make contact. Uh, number five, Christian Betancourt never hit. Uh, Blake Swihart kept getting moved around. It's like a third catcher hybrid type. Now we're into some names here. Number seven, Striker Trahan, who got moved to the outfield Great minor name. leagues, hasn't played professionally in two years. Reese McGuire can't hit. Uh, Nick Siofo, I probably didn't pronounce that right, but that's okay. Uh, got suspended, just made his debut like at the end of the season. And Tom Murphy with the Rockies. None of those ten guys. Maybe Sanchez. Would you cons- maybe Alfaro? I don't know. Like our starters, maybe. That's from five other, years other, ago. And the only one, the only one of those who still has a chance to be an impact player is Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I think that's probably. I mean, some of these guys might have impact. Like, if Darno showed up one year and had like an impact season with the bat, I'd believe it. But like, the idea of him being like an impact player for like years to come is, I think that ship has set. The top ten from 2011, which is as far back as I could find. Number one, uh, Jesus Montero. Ugh. Number two, Devin Mesoraco had, had one good year. Had his moments, but can't stay yeah. healthy. Will and Rosario, I guess, had his moments. Number four, Sanchez again. Darno again. Number six, Austin Romine. Uh, number seven, Grandal. He's been really good. Number eight, Sebastian Valle, who I think was in one of those Cliff Lee trades between Seattle and Philadelphia. Number nine, Tony Sanchez. Number 10, Derek Morris. I actually do have a barfing face emoji on our notes oh. list here. <laughs> so Yeah, Grinnell, Grinnell and Sanchez are kind of like the success stories. I mean, the one the one thing you can say, generally speaking, 
catchers have been kind of slow to develop, generally slower to develop for a variety of right. reasons. Well, that's why I went back yeah. in many years as I could. And Grinnell is an example, a guy that looked like he was going to be a bust that became a success story, although now it's kind of like, who knows what's going to happen with his free agency. But as you noted, the depth, the lack of depth in this position means that he's still got a fair amount of negotiating I, leverage. I see. I see. If you include Romeo Tere, right, I see three starting options, him, Grandal and Wilson Ramos, who I like a lot, but is has had his injury issues. He's too. a guy too. You don't want to pencil in for more than right. you know, hundred and you know, hundred and ten games or something because he's had injury, serious injury issues of his own. So uh, Ramuto is even more valuable than he looks because look at how many teams, like how many teams would he fit on the Red Sox, the Astros, the Dodgers, everybody. I said. I mean, the Braves have supposedly been on him f- forever. He'd be great there. They have prospects. That seems like yeah, Suzuki's a free agent. The, the Marlins now. have shown no. Speaking of which, I mean, Suzuki's a guy that actually might be in demand, particularly since he won't command a one- or two-year deal. But you're not going to play him 600 plate periods. No. But uh, point being that I think the Marlins are not afraid to trade in their division. The Braves clearly have been targeting this guy. It'll be an interesting game of chicken between those two teams. That seems like one of those trades that's going to happen. Speaking of trades, I'm really interested in the trade market this offseason. Uh, you, everybody remembers last year what happened in free agency. It didn't go well for the players, but there were some really good signings, right? Lorenzo Cain was awesome. J.D. Martinez was awesome. You know, Machado is going to get paid, and Harper and Pat Corbin, they're all going to get paid, and they all deserve it because they're fantastic players. But this was supposed to be like the historic free agent class, and it just doesn't look that way anymore because, you know, you've got a lot of these older guys who have gotten hurt or declined, like Miller and Britton and Harvey and Donaldson. They're not quite the same. Uh, Charlie Blackman re-signed. Unfortunately, we lost Jose Fernandez, who was supposed to be a free agent this year. So it's, it's kind of, I think, a different feel for this free agent class. And when I looked at how teams built their rosters this year. And I used uh, the baseballgauge.com, which is a very cool site. Most of the value came from trades, not from free agency. If you look at the combined total wins above replacement across Major League Baseball this year, there are 1,000 wins above replacement. That's how it's set. Uh, Teams got about 29% from the draft, only 16% from free agents, 36% from trades, uh, 10% from amateur free agents, so international, et cetera, and 8% from what's called other, so, you know, waiver claims uh, and whatnot. So that's interesting to me. The the most value came via trade. And if you look at, you know, the way these final four teams got there, uh, you know, traded for Christian Yelich and, and traded for Garrett Cole and, um, you know, Hader and Presley and Sale and Verlander and Machado and Hader. I said Hader twice because he's that good. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's kind of fascinating to me. So you could try to sign some of these free agents, and you should. There's good players. Or do you trade for Real Muto or Paul Goldschmidt or Bumgarner or Jose Martinez or Kyle Schwarber or any of these guys? I, I just think it's kind of a fascinating way, and I'm, I'm interested to see how it impacts the free agency market this upcoming winter. Uh, It'll be... I think we're going to see a lot of trades for the reasons yeah. you mentioned. And teams have just become much more willing to trade guys. I mean, I, the Marlins last year were an extreme example. But even still, teams have shown much more of a willingness, particularly rebuilding teams, to trade star players if they don't see a clear, like, we're going to compete on the horizon. And even, like, the White Sox, right, with Chris Sale. Chris Sale wasn't making a ton of money. He wasn't like an albatross. But the White Sox realized, like, this is the best way for us to turn this franchise around and build a young base of talent. You know, same with, I mean, I guess Ozuna was on a pretty team from the, I mean, uh, Yelich was on a team from the extension, but like sometimes these guys are getting traded even when they're not that expensive. I was thinking about this and I don't really have the data to back this up, but when you think about the big stars and, and above average players who've been traded for prospects at the time, you know, everybody loves to hug their prospects and they freak out because it's somebody who was number two on their team prospect list. It doesn't seem like they end up getting bitten as much as you'd think. Like you look at the Chris Sale trade, right? 
Moncada's been okay. He breaks down a lot. Kopech looked good, but then he's hurt. You know, you look at the Adam Eaton trade. We've talked a lot about Lucas Giolito on this show. I don't know that any of the guys the White Sox got back in those two trades right now, their other teams regret it, you know? Uh, you look at the Yelich trade. I mean, the, Red Sox, the Red Sox just won the World Series. They are yeah, never going exactly. to regret, they're never gonna regret I, that trade. I couldn't even tell you without going to look it up who the Tigers got for Justin Verlander. I, I honestly don't remember. I think that's that's part of it. You know, the Stanton trade was, I guess, more about money that's than it was about players. Okay, Des Cameron. Well, there you go. There's a good name. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of the trades that like the Reds made, right? When they they traded Aroldis Chapman for four players, they, you know, they never used again. I I think that maybe we're going to see a a change of approach uh, in that teams. Maybe they feel like they can get more prospects, but it's hard to find these ready now players. I think you look at the Brewers. The Brewers made a ton of trades, and that aggressiveness really helped them get where they were. Yeah, what I'm what I what I'm would like to see more of is I'd like to see teams <clears throat> more trading out of need than just generally there's like a, a, a common pattern of just like, well, I'm a rebuilding team. So I will trade you a good big leaguer for prospects. Yeah. Right. But sometimes there, there's more interesting trades to be made where it's like, Hey, like, I mean, the perfect example of this I, I know exactly is, where Jose, going is Jose with. Martinez. Oh, okay. That's he's the perfect I'm... example of this where it's like, he's a guy who is a good player on a good team, but like he doesn't really fit their roster and they have other needs and he would have trade value. You want a baseball trade? Yes. What, what I thought you were going to say was the famous uh, Joe Carter, uh, Rob, Roberto Alomar, huh. Tony Fernandez, somebody else traded in 1993. No, I'm talking about like baseball trades, and they still happen, you know, sometimes, but they're more rare than I think they they should be. It's yeah, I guess you're right. It's kind of hard to think about examples of that. There just aren't many. Um, you know, Brian Dozier for Logan Forsythe. That's not really you know a standout trade, uh, but it's interesting. There's they're they're probably. We're going to talk about Romuto and Goldschmidt, I think, all winter, right? It feels like there's some names that are going to get traded, and you're going to be like, wow, I didn't see, like, Brandon Belt coming. I mean, I guess a baseball trade was kind of, um, you know, the Rays. They've made a couple kind of baseball trades. Like, the Chris Archer trade was kind of a baseball trade. Okay. The Tommy Pham trade was kind of, I mean, oh, like... Well, so there's a good example. I was just talking about how the prospects haven't really bitten teams. That Archer trade is not looking great for Pittsburgh right now, because no. I like Glasnow, and I like Austin Meadows. But when you look at this offseason, the Rays are kind of a team where I could see them making, you know some like they're a team that's always going to kind of be making baseball trades they, they should be aggressive they should be an aggressive team they should trade for jt armuto because they don't really have a strong catcher right now uh that is a perfect fit but like we said there's about nine other perfect fits um and maybe even more than that one of the other free agents who i find fascinating is nelson cruz nelson cruz is 38 years old he cannot play the field he's a he's a dh and in our current climate you would think well a 38-year-old DH-only type is toast on the free agent market. You know, you look at guys like Jason Worth last year, Matt Holiday, Andre Ethier, either didn't find jobs or had to sign minor league jobs or, you know, Holiday didn't surface till July. Is it going to be different for Nelson Cruz? I mean, part of the thing with those three guys is they were hurt or didn't perform last year. Nelson Cruz has crushed the ball. He, uh, I remember, you know, he had been with Texas for a bunch of years and he signs like a one-year deal with Baltimore in 2014 and he, and he kills it, like leads the league in home runs, right? And everyone was uh, just like, well, Baltimore's great for right-hand right hand hitting. I'm just, and by the way, I was, I was among those people. Oh, we <laughs> all were. We all are. And then Seattle comes out and says, okay, we're going to bring you to one of the best hitter, uh, pitchers parks in baseball. We're going to give you four years, even though you're already age 34 and everybody just crushed them. And he was awesome in four years with Seattle, 284. 362, 546, uh, 163 home runs in that time, the most in the majors. And if you look at his underlying stats, if you look at his expected weighted on base, which accounts for quality of contact, so is he still hitting the ball hard and in the air, and amount of contact, strikeouts and walks, and you look at each of his four seasons, uh, you, you know, if we want to put it in context, uh, a 311 expected weighted on base is average this year. Mookie Betts had a 429, so that was the best. For his four years, Nelson Cruz, 377, 397, 
408, and 395. Those are all good, and they're all consistent. This year, that number, 395, was the eighth best of 313 guys with 250 plate appearances. Now, I know he can't play the field, so I know no National League team is going to go after him, and I know not every American League team has a spot for a DH, and I know he's 38 years old. That guy kills the ball, and he's going to find a home. So what I thought would be interesting, uh, which we did last year for Kane and Martinez, was to go back and find similar type players and see how they did. So these are really fun names. Dating back to World War II, there were 264 hitters who had 1,000 plate appearances in their age 35 to 37 seasons. Of those 264 hitters, Nelson Cruz's line is 21st. That's real good. Of the 20 ahead of him, 12 are Hall of Famers, and Barry Bonds, Edgar Martinez, David Ortiz, and Manny Ramirez may yet be. So right away, you said, he's done something incredible. There's obviously a selection bias here. You don't get 1,000 plate appearances after age 35 unless you're really good to start with. I also wanted to find, uh, you know, better, better guys who were more similar to him. So I limited it to the wild card era. I looked again for a thousand plate appearances between age 35 and age 37. And because as much as I like Cruz, he's not Barry Bonds. I wanted to just limit it to similar talent levels. So his weighted runs created plus where 100 is average. His is 142. I looked between 130 and 150. And I wanted to make sure that we were looking for mashers, not Tony Gwynn types. So I set slugging percentage over 500. That got me 15 names, and they're super fun, especially if you are of the age that Matt and I are, because these are the guys who were crushing when we were growing up. Very quickly, those 15 names, Harold Baines, Ellis Burks, Andres Galarraga, Jason Giambi, Chipper Jones, Edgar Martinez, Mark McGuire, David Ortiz, Rafael Palmeiro, Jorge Posada, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, Frank Thomas, Jim Tomei, Larry Walker, a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame, a couple of guys probably on their way. I don't think it's unreasonable to put Nelson Cruz in this list. I know that the uh, you know defense is very different, but I don't care because he's just going to be a DH. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of Nelson Cruz in that way, but I guess now I have to. He's been really good for a long time. I mean, he's not he's not a. The difference is that he is a right hand hitter, but like or, Ortiz is kind of a similar comp at this point, right? Like yeah, body type, like role, like DH only. I mean, it's there will be a market for Nelson Cruz. The guy can still hit. So I wanted to see, like, well, what did this group do? So at age 37, not including Cruz, who just completed that season, uh, they, these guys hit nine, a 917 OPS, real, real good. At age 38, uh, 12 of the 13 who played regularly were above average hitters. Group had an 857 OPS. At age 39, eight of the 11 who played regularly were above average. Group had an 836 OPS. And at age 40, every single guy who still played were above average hitters. It doesn't really matter because no one's giving Nelson Cruz a three-year deal. But I guess I can say that I'm pretty confident that wherever he ends up, he's going to slam the ball for at least another year or two. Now, there might only be four good fits, right? You figure the rebuilding teams like Detroit, Chicago, the White Sox, Baltimore, KC, probably don't want a 38-year-old DH. You know, the Red Sox have J.D. Martinez and the Yankees have Stanton uh, and the Angels have Shohei Otani and Pujols and a couple other teams already have guys. There's only four good fits. Tampa Bay, who should be aggressive. Houston, who would be awesome for him to go there. Uh, Minnesota, who, you know, they probably lost Maurer and, and Logan Morrison and Robbie Grossman's no roadblock, or back to Seattle. But they might need to put Robbie Cano at DH if D. Gordon's going to play second base again. Are there are there better fits than that, or is no, it literally just those it's four? It's pretty—it's pretty, pretty, it's those four. Yeah. Houston really stands out to me. Oh, it's so good. I, I It's so good. Because, I, listen, you could put, like, Tyler White— at DH, or you could put him at first base because I don't think Yuli Gurriel should be a starter anymore. The question is whether or not the, the Astros want to just have a guy dedicated to be DH. That's right. you know that's they actually have you know Correa's had some injury problems. 
you know, they might just like having that spot to like give him some, keep him in the lineup, but not have him in the field. Uh, other like Tyler White's, Guriel's, what have you. They may just they, they may not be like how they want to build their roster, but in terms of like what the the construction of their team, otherwise he fits pretty nicely. It's, it's so good. They need uh, a catcher and a DH and maybe a first baseman, but I, I'm. I'm interested to see what they're going to do because they also they might need starting pitching depth, right? Keuchel's a free agent, Morton's a free agent. After next year, Verlander and Cole are free agents. It's an interesting time in Astros land right now. Finally, uh, the two biggest free agents are very clearly Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And there was a report the other day that the Phillies uh, were. The- it's actually, it has been the other. It's been the last like, couple months. There's been talk. Well, sure. Of, like- there, I don't know. There was like a, a Las Vegas sports book or something that had them as the highest odds. I don't really care about that, but obviously the Phillies are in a very strong position to spend. And it seems pretty clear to me they will get one of those guys. And it's pretty fun to think about the idea of them getting two. I don't think they're going to get them both. But also, imagine if they did. How much fun would that be? Here's the question. How do you fit them in? And I, I think like it's weird to say this. Any discussion of Manny Machado and Bryce Harper has to start with, these guys are really, really good. I it feels like they're underrated, and I think part of that is because, you know, Manny Machado didn't really uh, cover himself in glory this offseason, so I get that. In this postseason. Uh, it's this postseason. One of these days, I'll stop confusing those. And, um, you know, Bryce Harper got off to a pretty slow start. Has sort of had some inconsistent seasons, and I thought this was really interesting. This was from The Athletic. 36 different hitters have accumulated 30 wins above replacement, Fangraphs version, through their age 25 seasons. 36 hitters. 25 of them are already Hall of Famers. Six of them are not in or are not eligible to be in. And five are still playing. Trout, Pujols, Machado, Harper, and Betts. These guys are on a Hall of Fame track, uh, even if a lot of fans don't want to believe that. Neither turns 30 until the year 2022. Obviously, these are guys you want. Yes, they will cost a ton of money, and that is really what they've earned. You think the Phillies are going to get both? I don't think they're going to get both. I'd like to think about it if they would, though. I think it'd be exactly. It's kind of fun. It's it's a thing that's out there, so I'm kind of curious um to see what that that world would look like if Mach- i guess machado probably wants to be a shortstop and when we release our Statcast infield defense numbers i'm hoping we're going to have a uh, a commentary on whether he can play shortstop because that was the big thing right like was it the dodgers positioning or bad baltimore positioning um i kind of think he's a great third baseman and like an acceptable shortstop yeah i mean uzr that's the thing is like uzr and drs had him as well below average with baltimore this year Terrible. and then like yeah. above average with the Dodgers, so that's kind of what Mike was getting at with the positioning. Of course, with these these uh, soon-to-be-released or semi-soon-to-be-released StatCast metrics, they will be agnostic to positioning. Yes. So we'll kind of know, be able to judge actually who does have range. He says he wants to be a shortstop. I still think he'd be willing. My guess is, I shouldn't say I, don't, I haven't talked to him personally. My guess is <laughs> he'd be willing to play third for the right situation and the right money. I kind of feel like he starts as a shortstop and then is willing to slide over to third in a couple of years. Well, it kind of depends on the team, right? Like right. if, you know, if... If uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of a team that has like a, a superstar shortstop suddenly got in on him, like I think it might change the conversation. But right now, let's I think we should we should assume for the Phillies, I think he'd want to go play shortstop. What I really like about this is so let's say he goes and plays shortstop there. You either demote JP Crawford to AAA or you trade him. And JP Crawford, you know, he's still young, he doesn't turn 24 until January, just one year of service time. Has not really impressed so far. He was hurt a lot last year. Uh, his minor league stats were okay. But I also feel like if he's available, like you don't get guys like that to be made available that often. So if you're a rebuilding club like 
you know, the Marlins or the the Tigers or somebody like that. Wouldn't you love to have J.P. Crawford on your team? Like, you would be jumping all over the opportunity. Maybe he doesn't pan out. That's fine. Uh, but you would love to have a guy like that and put him in the lineup while you're rebuilding and say, hey, the next two years are yours, man. See what you can do. Like, that's, that's good for the Phillies. There would be a market for him. The thing is just like, you know... The Phillies, you'd have to just be if you trade JB Crawford, you'd have to be able to stomach the fact that you'd be getting a lot less for him than if you put him on the market. This is a perfect example of like, you know, we were talking about before about holding on to your prospects. Not saying the Phillies should have traded him, but like this guy had a lot more trade value two or three years ago. You know what? The Phillies could probably use JT Armuto, right? <laughs> Start with it, one of their best pitching prospects, give them Alfaro and uh, J.P. Crawford, and I feel like you got something to start there with the Marlins. Probably that could be interesting. Okay, you do that, and then Machado shortstop, keep Franco at third. Kingery is either a multi-positional backup or is your second baseman and you trade Cesar Hernandez. I, it's a tough year to trade Cesar Hernandez. There's a lot of free agent second baseman out there. LeMahieu and Lowry and Brian Dozier uh, and Murphy. Murphy, right? I mean, that's it's a tough year for that, I think. And also, if you're trying to compete... I know they gave Kingery that extension last year, yeah. but he didn't really prove... Uh, he was he, real bad. He's a good Major sure. League player, and Cesar Hernandez is a pretty good player. Um, so you keep Kingery as a backup? I think so. Okay. Uh, now, if you put Machado at third base, then I think you can trade Franco. You're not going to get a lot for him, but listen, again, some team like the Tigers would be fine having him for a year. I also think for the Phillies, they're not... If the Phillies sign Machado, it's as a shortstop. I think that's probably right. I think that like there was a world where before Gregorius got hurt... The Yankees might have been able to sign him and say, "We want you to play third, and maybe we'll slide you over." If Gregorius leaves as a free agent. You know, a team, a team, kind of like, at the, or like, you know, it won't happen with the Dodgers because they've got Seer coming back, and they already have Turner. But like a team that has like a superstar shortstop, you might see that happen. But the Phillies, that's not going to happen. No, I think that's probably right. Okay, let's say they also sign Harper. And this is what's more interesting to me: the Phillies' defense last year was, by any metric you can possibly think of really, really poor. I remember when Jake Arrieta started saying that the Phillies shifting was costing him outs, and we looked into it, and the answer was maybe, but it's just that the defense isn't strong no matter what positioning they have. So they obviously made to make some changes. The defense was so bad that baseball reference war adjusted Aaron Nola's war to be like the best in baseball. Yeah, right. Exactly right. Um, a lot of that was because Reese Hoskins is a first baseman who was forced to play left field. If you look at StatCast outs above average, I believe he was the second worst outfielder in baseball ahead of uh, only Nick Castellanos, I want to say. They're the bottom two. And so I don't think there's any way you can run out a defense that includes Reese Hoskins in left field. To me, it's like that one year where Ryan Braun played third base. They never ever let him do it again. Now, the problem is they have Carlos Santana at first base, and they also have Justin Bohr at first base. It feels like they have to trade one of those guys. Uh or, I don't know. I, I heard a crazy theory. I can't imagine this happens. What if you put Carlos Santana at third base sometimes? They they did it for a couple of games. It seems nuts to me. If you're if that's how you're fitting in Bryce Harper, you got to fix the defense. And Harper was not a strong defender. No, last year. I think I th that's a separate topic I want to get into at another point. Like, why was he such a lousy defender? Yeah, as we've talked about the, the, the Hoskins situation before in the podcast that basically by signing Santana, they really limited Hoskins' value. They probably didn't realize how bad he was going to be out there. Um, and it would behoove them to find a way to get him back to first base because then he becomes a true star player. Whereas as a left fielder, he's just like a good, he's, you know, Pat Pearl 2.0. Um, so Santana wouldn't have a ton of trade value. This is the problem. He's coming off a down year. He's got a pretty big contract. First base, DOH only. I mean, there might be, I mean, I guess when you were talking about it, maybe like in theory, like, the Astros could be a fit, or Interesting. Uh, the Yankees could be a fit if they don't really believe in Luke Voigt. Um, One of these years, the Rockies are going to get a first baseman. <laughs> I don't know if it's this year. Um, you think that they would, let's say, trade Nick Williams, I guess. like He's he's a decent young player. He's only 25. He hit a little bit last year. Not a great outfielder either, but 
feels like he's yeah, a no, guy you Williams, he's an interesting player. I think he's the kind of guy that could be a late, late bloomer who has a couple of like I could see it. impact seasons. Uh, pretty dynamic uh, uh, skill set. I mean, you know, Aaron Altair had such a lousy season. He's got no trade value right now. You could probably trade Herrera for something if you wanted to. He's no. got that contract, which is pretty reasonable. Right. I guess then you need a center fielder. I don't really want to play Harper in center field. They should also go get AJ Pollock. Yes, I, I mean AJ Pollock's another guy. Like, Build a with, super team, man. With his injury history, like wh- what does he get? That's that's why this this, this free agent class is so interesting because there's these guys. Um, you know, I think uh, someone tweeted this morning that like Josh Donaldson could be this year's Mustakis just because like. No, you know, you know who said that it was David Sampson, who's, yeah, who's become like a baseball analyst yeah. on uh, former Marlins president, I guess. But you know, Donaldson's another guy. Like you know, Jim Duquette just put out his uh, free agent rankings in MLB today, and he had to, he had Donaldson like twentieth. I mean, he had such a lousy year. I mean, hurt right. He's also not that young. And he's not that young, and he's a better player than Mike Mustakas. Like I could easily see Donaldson having a big year next year in a way I can't see Mike Mustakas. And he's, he's to me I think Donaldson's a guy that teams are going to be really coy about cuz I bet you a lot of teams see him as a sleeper yeah. and want to like hold out and see if they could get him well, on a he's, bargain. He's going to think he should get the contract he would have gotten 2 years ago and hold out until like June and this is what's going to happen he's all gonna winter. It's going to be a very interesting uh yeah. I do not I do not expect Josh Donaldson to sign soon. I don't yeah, I mean I guess Trevor Rosenthal signed today. Like he was not actually a big leaguer last year so he was able to, but I do think we're going to see a lot of late signings like we did last year. Yeah, although maybe we'll see more uh what's the uh Eduardo Escobar who just snatched up Oh yeah, that's right. That was uh he was like, "You know what? I like Arizona. I'll take 3 for 21." Well, in a couple hours we'll at least know what Clayton Kershaw is up to, and that's a fascinating decision by itself. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to the mlb.com Stackcast podcast. 